Ooh, the man of tomorrow is here. And, uh, wow. We've got a lot to get into in this episode. This nice little Q&A for all you members of the Zomia 1 Underground. In fact, actually, I just noticed somebody became, uh, got a, a new patron on Patreon, of all things. Um, you know, do, do keep in mind, I try to concentrate harder on Podbean. In fact, bringing that up. So, th this is so weird. In fact, let me open up the app here. Uh, <laughs> I, oh, man. It's kind of perfect because I actually I have some podcasting, like other podcasts and things like this that I want to mention uh, right here in the in the onset. But anyway, in the, the the podcast app for the first time in actually probably since I moved everything that is Sovereign Tech slash Zomia One over to Podbean, it had an update, and the update had a lot of interesting little little features added. One of them is, so, in fact, I was going to try and use this uh, recently, about a month ago, but I didn't end up doing so. But with, with the Podbean app, if you are a podcaster with Podbean and you're logged into the Podbean app, so if you're like me, there is a, if you go to your profile in the app, there's a little red button that allows you to you would assume record an episode and then I guess post it right to, to your feed, you know, right into Podbean. Um, now after this update that happened just a couple days ago, and this is uh Oh boy, it's nine 11. Ooh. Um, you know, just a couple days ago, this came out and, and it used to, it used to just take you to the screen where you could record stuff. Now it brings up uh, a couple of buttons, it brings up record audio and start live cast. And I was like, Oh shit. All right. I can start doing uh, live episodes, um, you know, of for, for, for patrons and maybe even live episodes of sovereign tech in the near future. here. And, you know, but then when you hit it, it says, Oh, go to podbean.com slash live to, you know, start your live cast. And I do that. And then it just takes you to the, to the sign up sheet again, which I already did back in July. Uh, so, well, whatever, we can't do them yet, but there's this thing now, there's a new feature called golden beans and it says about golden beans. Golden beans are the virtual currency on the Podbean app. Users can use golden beans to purchase different virtual gifts to send to the host as reward and support during live shows. Golden beans are also used to purchase admission to live shows. Uh, payment will be charged to your Google Play account at confirmation, blah, blah, blah. Payment is non-refundable, et cetera, et cetera. So they've got some kind of currency they're going with here. And basically, well, they offer like 70 beans, gold beans for 99 cents, all the way up to 7,000 golden beans for $100. Uh, I have no idea. And I there's no blog posts. There's no content about this. But this is the stuff that was put into the Podbean app after the update. Um, suffice to say that with, I mean, I will still put, um, I'll still put the, the recording of live shows that I do on Patreon. Um, but I mean, cause I still have 50 over 50, uh, uh, subscribers on Patreon. So, you know, I mean, I'm honored. Okay. I'm not, not complaining one bit. I'm, I'm honored that, that, you know, you want to support me still, uh, there, but, um, yeah, just something to keep in mind that looks like Podbean has some very interesting features they're going to shoot for. Uh, and well, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. <sighs> but anyway, um, of course, for your Wednesday Q&A, we have some. Yeah. Am I going to talk about the the uh, the iPhone 11? Yeah, that'll be on the next Sovereign Tech. Don't worry. <laughs> we got a loaded Sovereign Tech coming uh, and it might come uh, a little early. But, um, you know, Christmas in September here, right? Uh, but it, it's so bad. 
but it's so bad that there's actually good news within it, that it's so bad. And well, anyway, you'll have to wait for for this week's Sovereign Tech to find out what the hell um, that is. So, uh, okay. Anyway, I have, and this is just totally on a lark. Going to tell you a little story here. I, I was, I, I woke up and, you know, speaking of the Podbean app. Okay. So this is kind of a perfect lead in the Podbean app. If you have it set this way, will alert you. And I know most, a lot of podcast apps will do this all pretty much all of them do. will alert you when a new episode comes out of whatever the fuck you're following on, um, you know, on Podbean. And actually, I think you can see every podcast that I follow if you look me up on Podbean. Um, but do understand uh, a great, great, great listener, just a great, great person, um, shared with me a episode of Joe, Ro- Joe Rogan that has uh, John Carmack on it, who's kind of a personal hero of mine. And uh, I, the only reason I'm subscribed to Joe Rogan right now is to listen to that episode. <laughs> so I'm glad that the listener shared it with me because otherwise I would have never seen it because uh, I just... I. Yeah, Joe Rogan. Uh, anyway, so I get this, I, I get a, there, there's there's this YouTube channel that I'm somewhat of a fan of. It's called Retro Blasting. The guy who runs it, I think his name is Michael. I think it's him and his wife. And, you know, he's, I know, I think he was born like in 78 and I was born in 81, I think. Something like that. So we're fairly close in age. I, this is one of those guys who I feel like, just we would be the best of friends, you know, and we'd be absolute brothers and everything. I mean, you know, I, I just I, I really, really feel that. And I, I really like his work. He did a great video on Buck Rogers, a two part video, actually, on Buck Rogers. Uh, he he's done videos like on, on uh, all kinds of stuff. And anyway, they have a podcast, I think, that they call Dreamland. So there's the YouTube show Retro Blasting, but then there's the podcast uh, Dreamland. Now, he's a major toy collector. I never got into, I never really got into toy collecting. I had a little while in the late nineties when star Wars came out with the power of the force collection. Um, I mean, I was a teenager, you know, not, not that I, I don't care about age, collect all the toys you want. Okay. Um, I never got into collecting so much of the physical stuff. And I think really that's only because, or the main reason for that is because I have been a, for lack of a better way of putting it, I've been a world traveler since I was legally able to get on an airplane alone. I mean, I was before then, too, you know, with my family, but, um, you know, my parents and everything. But I was a world traveler at a very, very young age. Uh, I mean, and I mean, I traveled a lot. I mean, I, I, I <laughs> was basically an illegal in Canada for three months. Um, I mean, I was, <laughs> I, I was going everywhere. Um, and I credit that I credit that with a lot of things. But Regardless, because of that, while I have pictures where you can see that I had like a lot of toys, I fell out of that as soon as I started traveling a lot. Um, like, I mean, now, sure, I have some toys. I have some Funko Pops. Uh, I have some, uh, I have like a Lego set here from Tron Legacy, but basically it's because it's the only fucking thing you can buy at Tron Legacy. Uh, I have my starships. I have some starships. Uh, that collection grows a little bit. In fact, I just got a gorgeous USS Franklin that got sent to me. Uh, thank you for that. Um, there, yeah, anyway, I, but I, I don't collect all, literally everything I own is like on a desk. Okay. It's on like an, like a little, little computer desk. So I don't collect a lot. That's not my thing. This guy does, 
But that's just one way that he expresses his fandom for these properties in general. Uh, it's pretty clear, like, that he loved the cartoons or movies, say, that these toys from the 70s, 80s, and so on got made for, uh, as much, if not more so, than the toys themselves. So he has really great videos, and they have, on this retroblasting, or on this Dreamland podcast, they have some dynamite conversations. I mean, just, just dynamite on there. And I was listening to one that's about, well, it's over a year old, because it's from April of 2018. And this... I put a link in the show notes for it because I have never listened to something and really, in, in my opinion, felt so understood. And it it's titled The State of Modern Fandom. Okay, and understand this comes from like a science fiction nerd perspective, whatever. We got great questions to get in, folks. In fact, one of them is a really, really deep one uh, that, well, we'll spend time on, but and it has to do with recent episodes of Sovertech. Glad that a lot of people like the uh, the double dip, the 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 uh, the double load, as I often call it, uh, that got released this weekend. Um, glad you all appreciated that. But um, anyway, this yeah, it's the state of modern fandom, and I put the link in the show notes. I listened to this because, and I I think they miss a lot of things. I think there's things maybe they just either for whatever reason they don't want to admit. Because their bread and butter is so based in entertainment, you know, and that kind of media that maybe they can't just come out and say, guess what? I mean, they admit that, like, everything is meant to be a toy commercial that, you know, they do kind of admit that. But they don't want to go so far as to say that, you know, you realize none of this had to do with putting great art out there. And that's a hard pill to swallow. And it's a hard pill for me to swallow. Uh, but I, I oh, fuck. I felt so understood when I listened to this because they talk about how like everything today is just shit, you know, and it's clearly made the same things that I've been saying uh, lately about entertainment is dead and all that. They basically, they confirm much of, of what I'd been saying. And I think we don't realize that. And in fact, this, this kind of plays up with uh, the matrix conversation we've had over the past couple sovereign texts or past few sovereign texts. And I think one of the reasons I really love, in fact, uh, a, a great uh, patron, great underground member uh, sent me a great listener, sent me a long time one a video, uh, another video about the matrix sequels uh, that he thought was really interesting. And that video is done, but was this guy's name, Patrick Williams. I'm a fan of this guy. Cause he also, he loves the, uh, he loves Batman forever, which fucking right, baby. <laughs> uh, such a great movie. Anyway, um, he liked the Matrix sequels, even though he admits they have he feels like there's a ton of flaws in them. I don't even necessarily know if I agree with what he considers flaws, but whatever. It was a great video and I watched it. And at the end of it, he brings up, he says, you know, he says, you got to love these films because they weren't trying to please anybody like they had. And, and, and this is the rub is that with the. With Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions, the studios, you know, were like, holy shit, a new franchise did crazy money and everybody's talking about it. That being the Matrix, which came out in 99. And so Warner Brothers was like, oh, well, here, Wachowskis, make whatever the f you, you need to make more. And again, there's a there's there's debate and a question to, to make or, or, you know, there's a conversation to have around whether or not the Wachowskis ever planned on the Matrix being more than just the movie, the singular movie. And it does feel like the more you explore the mythology of the Matrix, 
Um, it does feel like the first movie was meant to be, you know, a one-off, a one and done. Uh, and I'm sure there's, and I know there's a lot of people who probably wish it stayed that way, but regardless, they were given a opportunity to, wow, you know, we don't understand this movie at all and what you were doing. It looked really cool. That's why we gave you money for it, whatever. We're just, you know, shot in the dark with $80 million. Um, but now that you've proven that you're such a success here, go ahead and make whatever the fuck you want. Okay. And, and here's, you know, $300 million go crazy. And that's part of what makes, and this is the same argument for another Wachowski film, that being Jupiter Ascending, which was like the last major or high budget uh, uh, new franchise uh, attempt done in the past 20 years, probably, um, or around there, or at least a decade. And what, what's so beautiful about these movies is that, yeah, this was a case of what happened in the 70s and the 80s, where Star Wars, for $10 million, just out of the blue, became this, this worldwide phenomenon that the movie studios were like, well, we want to do that again. But they didn't know how it was done in the first place. So they basically said to anybody, you know, Gene Roddenberry with Star Trek, uh, David Lynch with Dune, you know, I mean, what, or, I mean, and it wasn't originally even David Lynch, right? You know, originally it was Ridley Scott and, and, and whoever else. But they, you know, they went to all these, you know, all these different properties and people and said, or, you know, and all these science fiction authors here, we'll make your, yeah, we'll, we'll turn this into a movie. We'll turn, just get us shit in space that can make money like Star Wars did. That's what we want. And because of that, the studios were just throwing money at these creators who, fortunately at the time, either the authors were still alive to oversee it to some degree, or they were, uh, you know, people that genuinely believed in art because the ruse, the, 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 the curtain hadn't been pulled yet by, you know, to reveal the wizard that the purpose of all of this is just to line some assholes coffers in Hollywood, you know, and, and people that you don't even know their names. And, you know, they thought that that it was actually about making like great art and everything like Gene Roddenberry. You got to understand Gene Roddenberry, when he was making the original Star Trek, he was trying to be, uh, you know, the next John Campbell. Right. He was trying to create the next great platform for science fiction. And he did that. And, you know, the writers of episodes of the original series were some of the and to this day, some of the top writers science fiction has ever seen. Uh, I don't think people, I, I never really realized that until recently, that that, that the original series was very much the, you know, it was the astounding, it was, it was basically astounding ma magazine or astonishing, whatever, or amazing, you know, it's like amazing stories, you know, all those science fiction pulp magazines, it was based that, that gave us things like Dune and so on. It was basically those put on to TV and Gene Roddenberry was the cat herder. Okay. Uh, but that's the rub is that these are people who genuinely cared about art and writing great stories and just loved it and, and thought that science fiction could actually bring humanity and civilization to a next level. Like they, they treated science fiction very seriously. And so I think the reason that a lot of shit, like even something like V by Kenneth Johnson and so on, why this stuff was so well done, still holds up, still has a message, still feels like it has meaning and is just so well written and all this shit um, you know, is, is because these people genuinely cared about art and the studios didn't know how to make populist, you know, as in they didn't know how to make media. They didn't know how to make science fiction that was populist enough and that got everybody's ass in the seat. Okay. And that could do, you know, I mean, they just thought, okay, put it in space and it'll make crazy amount of money. Eventually they learned differently, 
But for a while there, we had a golden era of movies for about 10, 15 years. You know, maybe, maybe 10, we'll say. We had a golden era of movies. Because of the surprise success of Star Wars, which Star Wars is inherently populist, just they didn't realize that everything had to follow that same formula. You know, the studio heads didn't. This is my opinion, but I think that it's being shared in this podcast, and that's why I want you to listen to it. And it plays off of major conversations we've had on Q&A, so that's why I'm talking about it here. Um, we had like this 10 years where the studios didn't know better, and you had creators who were getting out great fucking movies, movies that are still watched over and over again to this day, shit by Ridley Scott and so on, um, that they got away with and were able to make big productions because, again, the studio had just didn't know and they just threw money at these people and said, yeah, okay, you're making something in space, here you go, go go do it. And so we have, you know, this, this amazing little lexicon. Um, but that, I mean, that time is over. You know, now there is a, just like in, in pop music, there's a set formula of what gets people to, I don't know, move their hips. And now there is a set formula in theaters that gets asses and seats. And in fact, the, one of the beautiful things that they brought up is something that, and, and again, I, I just heard this, okay? But I've said this independently on Sovereign Tech over the past seven years. Iron Man, the movie Iron Man with Robert Downey Jr. is what changed everything. Now, my here, here's the rub. So they admit, as I have said over and over again, like, now everybody's like, oh, Iron Man's the best fucking comic book character. Oh, fuck. Oh, Iron Man. Oh, please. Oh, jerk off. Oh, oh God, I want to come home. You know, I mean, like, they're just, they're so nutso over it. You know, or like, oh, yeah, Iron Man is, is helping train Spider-Man. You know, Iron Man and Spider-Man would have never even talked to each other 20 years ago in the comic books. Iron Man was a, as they verify on this podcast, Iron Man was a second tier character. Nobody gave a shit about him, except maybe me. I had an Iron Man tie. I thought Iron Man was so cool because he was basically the Marvel version of Batman to me. And so, you know, I I really dug the character, but it was hard for me to, yeah, I mean, because there was major, there, there were a lot of years in my life growing up where because Iron Man was so not popular that he didn't have a comic book. Like, he didn't have his own title. And you had to read Avengers. And well, there's some characters I can't stand in Avengers. But anyway, I had said in high school, I mean, rooting for the underdog here, as I always do. When I was in high school, in the 90s, I said, I was like, you don't understand. One day, they're going to make an Iron Man movie. And I've told this story many times, but it's because it's fucking true. And, and I, was, I was so right. Like, it's ridiculous how right it was. I said, one day, they're going to make an Iron Man movie. And it's going to be the biggest fucking thing ever because this character is so flawed compared to just about any other comic book character, especially at the time. You know, he's an alcoholic. He has, I mean, all these really adult issues. I said, it's going to put everything right over the top when they do that. And it did. That's exactly what it did. It, it became this, you know, massive and it created the entire Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. But at the same time, because of that, it also killed... Um, I think it killed a lot of artistic expression, you know, and, and it killed the ability to create like these really wacky movies because now, oh, everybody's into science fiction. Oh, everybody's into fantasy. Everybody's into comic books. And so I want you to, to, to bolster what I am saying. Just people who are clearly from completely different walks of life, a little bit older than I and so on. Okay. I want you to hear from them. 
because it's an independent source of the same shit that I've been saying. And it's not hipster crap, you know, because that's that's what gets levied, right? Is that, oh, no, you're a hipster. No, I'm not a hipster. Okay, <laughs> like, you can... Yeah, I mean, like, one of the things with the, with the Matrix movies... I, I know, we got to get into our questions. One of the things with Matrix movies that, that a lot of people bring up is that it, this is a common criticism, and this is the one criticism that I do agree with against the, the later two films of the trilogy, is that the philosophy is heavy-handed. You get huge monologues. It's like reading Ayn Rand. Okay, you get huge monologues as to where in the first movie, it was so tightly woven into the script and into the action itself that you didn't notice it. It wasn't, again, it wasn't heavy handed. Okay, it wasn't hitting you over the head. And so in that way, the Matrix film is better than the, than the following two. Okay, than, than the rest of the trilogy. Because that is an objective metric of you can see, you anybody can see, we can all see. That the script, you know, if you consider, I mean, unless you're into the way that Ayn Rand writes and you like getting heavy handed and having, you know, 20 page monologues, okay, on philosophy. And, and if you do, you do. But, you know, as far as like, if, if not being heavy handed is considered superior, then there is an objective metric. Okay, even though you can subjectively like the other two movies more. In fact, I've seen reviews because other people send me videos where that that that's the case. And I mean, that blows my mind as much as I love those movies. I think they're all great. But wow. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but that's a subjective metric that you can look at. And that's that's kind of the thing is that you can go to these movies from the 70s and 80s. And I think there are absolutely objective metrics. Tightness of script. The comedy isn't so blatant. Um, you know, it's more subdued, more subtle. Uh, lots of these other things where you can say, oh, no, that feels more natural. And when something feels more natural, it becomes more believable. That's an objective metric. And I, I think I think it can absolutely be said that the movies from back then, uh, there, there's something there's some, there are things that are just clearly objectively better. What allowed for that? Whether it's because the studio heads didn't know any better or what, or because, you know, these people were into classical, uh, you know, because the creators and the writers of these movies were inspired by, you know, more creative works from decades previous that had to be more creative when effects weren't as great or, you know, uh, whatever. I don't know. In fact, it brings me to another thing. Okay, like I said, we, we do have we do have questions we're going to get into. Okay, we're, we're going to get into this. But the, these are a couple things I, I, I want to bring up because they're relevant to a lot of conversations we've been having throughout Zomia 1, throughout not just Sovereign Tech, but all kinds of content. Another podcast I was listening to, uh, one that I listen to all the time, uh, Dreamland's kind of a newer thing for me, but one that I've been listening to for as long as I've been listening to podcasts is uh, the Eddie Trunk Show. Eddie Trunk, of course, uh, also kind of a hero of mine. Um, he is a guy who's been in the uh, hard rock and heavy metal uh, radio scene for decades. He's also been in the you know the music industry, uh, and he you know one of the one of the top DJs. Uh, well, he wouldn't really call, he's a talk show host, but he's also a DJ. But just one of the top guys on the radio in the world. I mean, he really, really is a person who's in very high demand. Um, he gets a lot of you know his podcast. He talks to a lot of classic acts. Uh, you know, look at guys from Def Leppard or Whitesnake on or whatever, you know, but sometimes he has more modern guys or really guys that have become classic, right? Like, 
let's be clear here. Okay, now two bands that 2019 has been a banner year for music. I mean, just insane, especially if you're a metal fan or a hard rock fan. Um, but we've had an album from Korn and an album from Slipknot this year in 2019. And he did, basically, he's done back-to-back over the past couple weeks. He did an interview with uh, with Korn, with Jonathan Davis, uh, and um, who's the lead singer, and uh, Head there, Brian, whatever his name is. Head, man, boy, you know, you ever want to hear... So, in fact, I didn't know Head got back into Korn, because Head had left, because he became, he was like a born-again, he became a born-again Christian after being in Korn. In fact, he made a, he had a solo album that's heavy as fuck. It's so great. I mean, it's Christian, but it's fucking awesome. If you've never heard his head solo album, man, that that's a that's a stick of dynamite in yours. I mean, it, it, it oh, it's fantastic. They don't talk about that on the on the, the interview at all. I just you know, I've been in this scene for a long time. So anyway, uh, so he had that, and then he talked to Corey Taylor, of course, of uh, of of Slipknot. So I was listening to these interviews, and and a couple things really came to mind for me. Okay. I'm going to lay out some some factoids quick that come out of these interviews, and then I have a point I want to make. Here's the factoids. Jonathan Davis. Do you want to know who Jonathan Davis's favorite band is? Actually, I'm going to tell you two things about John, Jonathan Davis. Jonathan Davis does not listen to heavy metal. He never listened to heavy metal. Okay? He's the lyric guy in Korn, and he can write music. Remember, he did the... Uh, uh, actually, I, I loved what he did with... Um, what was that interview? Not not interview the vampire, uh, Queen of the Damned. Okay, I, I he actually did the score for that and wrote like those those like special songs for the soundtrack and everything like that. Uh, Forsaken that David Draymond sang. I thought that was awesome. Um, I think Jonathan Davis is a very talented guy, but according to him, he he never listened to heavy metal. That wasn't his thing. His buddies in Corn had to basically get him into that. And it wasn't until, you know, much later on in his life and just before he had started Corn. His favorite band growing, you know, growing up and what he listened to all the time was Duran Duran. That's still his favorite band to this day. Okay, so there's that. He didn't listen to metal. His favorite band's Duran Duran. Okay. Now, let's go to Corey Taylor, Slipknot. Which, by the way, both, I mean, the Corn album and the Slipknot album, I mean, for what they are, they're good. Um... I don't know if I'd ever do them for album of the week, but whatever. It, it's it's hilarious that Slipknot and Corn are like classic rock now because they've been around for for twenty fucking years. Okay, uh, now Corey Taylor is talking with Eddie with Eddie Trunk on the show, separate interview, and he comes out and he says, you know, so so Eddie asks him, you know, like how are you doing this twenty years later? In fact, this is funny. This is something that comes up in both interviews, the ones with Corn and the one with Corey Taylor of Slipknot. Is that like, did you guys, you know, Eddie asked them, asked all of them, do you, did you expect to be here after 20 years? And every single one of them said, no, we didn't think we could, we could keep this up. In fact, we barely can, blah, 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 which is hilarious because when I was a, going back to when I was a teenager, like we were talking earlier, when I was a teenager in the nineties, getting fucking picked on because I didn't listen to new metal and I was still listening to Judas Priest and Motley Crue and, you know, Deep Purple and go down the list. And being told I was an idiot and stupid and blah, 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 and that music sucks. Uh, one of my critiques that I said is like, there's no way these guys are going to be doing this in 20 years. Not keeping up the lifestyle that they're putting on display and everything else. There's just no fucking way that they're going to be, they're going to keep doing this. Well, guess how they're keeping doing this? Corey Taylor says how he does it. 
he long ago gave up drinking, drugs, uh, and he he literally works out every day. Oh, he also reads comic books all the time too. But <laughs> so and, and also you know like like him and Eddie you know because Eddie's a really like a classic rock classic metal guy. They are spending a lot of their time and a lot of these more modern what are considered I guess more modern acts like Corn. Uh, uh, Godsmack, even like they talked to, he's had God's guys on from Godsmack a few times. Uh, he even had the guy on from, um, uh, what the, what the fuck's that band? Ah, uh, System of a Down, that's it. Anyway, you know, they're always talking about what they're into, what music they love, which is Judas Priest, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, uh, you know, Motley Crue, White Snake, and all this. Like, that's what they listen to. That's what inspired them to get into the music that they were into. Now, I don't know if you can tell where I'm going with this. But basically, all the people, you know, for for a huge chunk of my life, and there's a point to bring up to this that's actually going to speak to a question that we're going to get to. Maybe we'll just go right into that question after it. But there's a huge chunk of my life where I am consistently being told that, you know, like the classic rock and classic metal that I listen to, and I listed off some of the bands. Sucks. Oh, that's for old people. Oh, that's this, blah, blah, blah. But then the people who are telling me that, they're into Corn and Slipknot. But then the actual band members of Corn and Slipknot are into the shit that I'm into. Not only that. Okay? Because believe me, you have no idea how much I've had to deal with the fact and how, you know, never got invited to the cool kid stuff because I don't drink. Because I don't do drugs because, you know, and because like I'm working out all the time. So I'm spending, you know, an hour to two hours a day and maybe I don't have the same amount of time to just lay fucking around and, and I don't know, be depressed about shit. Like a lot of these people did. But wait, that's how the guy you're fucking listening to lives. (laughs) I mean, folks, I, I know. Look. I, I got I to gotta tell you a little something, okay, about me. Like, right now, okay, I mean, they're, they're like, there's, you know, there's life changes that I've been going through throughout 2019 and kind of changes in how I, you know, need to do things and, and, and whatever else, okay? Um, but in just about every way that it matters, I am preposterously happy. I am so happy. I am, I have a... I am in a relationship, of course, with Ellen. No secret. Where I I did not think that this was possible. I just did not think this was possible. You know, in in relationship uh, uh, advice circles, um, they call this sort of thing, uh, they call it uh, a game changer. Ellen is an absolute game changer. And I cannot begin to tell you how great life is with her. I cannot begin to tell you. Like, I mean, the the words literally escape me. Okay? Now, that said, I'm also, like, because, look, as if you, in life, when you realize, as an individual, okay, and maybe that comes through relationships that you have. I also have, uh, I don't talk to him as often as I want to, but I mean, or as I'd like to. 
you know, mainly because I'm so busy and, and, and million other reasons. I hate saying that I'm busy because it sounds so insulting and degrading to the other person. But like I have somebody who can finish my sentences and my brother and best friend, that being Rob. OK, who co-hosts, you know, TIE Fighter Renegades with me. I've had I've met just some of the most beautiful people in my life uh, through through doing, you know, Sovereign Tech and everything. And that's that's the rub is that, you know, that people can be in your life, other human beings, not for your own pleasure, but just for your own sanity of not feeling alone in the universe. OK, you know that the kind of people you've always dreamed of having in your life can be in your life, be it as, you know, best friends, chosen family, chosen, by the way, chosen, chosen family or lovers. And when you finally have those people in your life, I mean, you can't help but be infectiously and just wildly happy. And I am. But then, you know, when you know that things can be that way, and then when you look at the broader world and and maybe, you know, you know, maybe it is because I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Maybe it's because when you do finally have these people in your life and you finally have like really unconditional love in your life, and that is possible. I know there's people who want to say unconditional love is a bullshit concept. No, you're full of shit. Okay. It absolutely is, is possible. When you have that, and then you, you know, you realize that all talk about bullshit, all the bullshit you had to deal with your whole life, the whole rest of your life up until this time. And I'm 38. When you realize that you get mad, you get very, very mad about it and very frustrated that you ever had to deal with it. And you could say you can't experience the sweet without the sour. I understand these kinds of ideas. Okay. You can say that, but it doesn't, it doesn't take away the, 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 the bitter taste of that sour that you've dealt with for decades. And so in a lot of ways, you know, I am ridiculously happy and there's, there's a really a much larger conversation to have around that as well, because I think in, in a million ways, the entertainment industry, like we were talking about and a lot of other things is basically set up to keep us from being happy because if we're happy, we have very different ways that we engage with the world and regardless, okay, I don't want to get sidetracked on that because we do have a question to get into at least one. But yeah, I, I I can't help but be positively infuriated at the systems that exist that I know kept me from either a finding these people in my life or, you know, or, or just keeps other people from coming to similar realizations. And perhaps we can all respect each other and go through life happily, you know? And so now when I think back on all the people that told me that what I was into sucks and that my way of living is stupid and that, oh, what do you mean you don't drink? What the hell's wrong with you? And, you know, and all these other things. Like now when I look back as to where now going forward, you know, I have people that are very supportive of my choices. And, and, and not only that, but now when you got guys who were supposedly the soundtrack, you know, for all of these people who live the exact opposite lifestyle to me in certain ways that they're living my way. I, I mean, 
You know, it's it's like you were told you were wrong your whole life and then suddenly you're told you're right. Now, I'm not saying my way is the only way. I'm not saying there's only one way to live. The human condition is a very dynamic thing. There is not just one way to express your humanity. There are still wrong ways to express humanity, no doubt. Okay? We talk about that all the time on Sovereign Tech. But regardless, like, I am not wrong. Now, you got to keep in mind, and this, this will actually play well into the question that I got in, which has to do with the recent episode of Sovereign Tech. I have to remember now. Okay. Children, children are just beautiful, wonderful, little human beings. And that's what they are. They're human beings and they deserve to be respected as such. Okay. But unfortunately we live in a world, again, this will play into our question. Unfortunately, we live in a world where, and this isn't anything new. I mean, I know a lot of my more ANCAP and libertarian audience have probably heard this sort of thing from me as well as other areas uh, that, you know, and some people that have podcasted longer than I have. Um, you know, children will re can, if it's inflicted upon them, will re-express the traumas of their parents. And it's really sad. And basically, you, I, I'm going to say it this way, but I'm, I'm, please don't misunderstand me. I don't really blame the kids because I know it's ultimately their parents' fault or even society's fault in other ways. But kids can be very mean. Teenagers can be very mean. And I'm not, I'm not blaming them. But that is, that is a pill that a lot of us need to swallow, is that a rational, grown-up human being... Like, it's just not normal for human beings to be mean to each other in those ways and for one to look at the other and just say oh that that sucks oh that's stupid oh that's this blah 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 that's not normal that's not natural that's not how we like to interact as human beings because if it was we would have never gotten anywhere remotely close to here and we got to keep that in mind because and the problem is is that affects us for years, for decades, sometimes for our whole lives. You know, I know there's a lot of activists who are at work under the auspices of, I just can't stand a fucking bully. Well, where, when's the first time they experienced a bully? It was probably while they were in school. That is still affecting them to this day. You know, and it is it is a major thrust in their life. And I'm not saying necessarily that it's a bad one. Bullies are shit. They're terrible. Granted, they are probably just re-expressing you know, the traumas of their parents. But that, that, that's, that's, that's a tough reality to sit on, you know? And, and I think if we can, when you think that you are, when you are reacting to other people's opinions of what you're into or what you are or how you live and all this, it's important to do a gut check and say, did that come from when I was in high school? Did that come from when I was in elementary school? Uh, you know, did it come from when I was a schoolboy? Did it come from when I was young? Did it come from my parents? You got to figure, you got to process it and figure out where that came from. And then if you, and, and here's what I recommend. If you realize that it came from, say, like your time in school, just, just recognize that children can be so mean. And they don't know why. That's why they can be so mean is because they really don't know what they're saying or doing. 
Okay, because they're just re-expressing what their parents obviously did to them or whatever. Got to do that. World will change when people start doing that in a very real way. Now, that leads in very nicely. I was going to have a conversation about Signal and Telegram here because I did a poll about that. But um, I'm going to save that for uh, for another. We could save that for another time. But, you know, we had the conversation um, that had to do with the neurobehavioral prediction uh, system that people have proposed to the U.S. government uh, for finding out, you know, who is, uh, you know, who's mentally ill, supposedly, uh, or so on. And, you know, who is going to potentially go on a killing spree. Right. We had that conversation. And in it, the writer of the article, I think it was Gizmodo, was saying, well, you know, they're going to go this far instead of doing something that actually works like common sense gun laws. And I made it very clear that, of course, I, as an anarchist, no, laws never work. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they just don't. Uh, you know, to, to, to paraphrase Mr. Spock, um, I think it was the episode Day of the Dove in, uh, in Star Trek. You know, <laughs> hate can only stop itself. Otherwise, it's never really stopped. Um, so, you know, making laws isn't, that's not going to work. Okay. And let's be very clear here, you know, that, I mean, I mean, you, there's never one reason, but I'm sure, you know, with a lot of these mass shootings, I mean, hate is a major part of it. At the very least, you can read that in their own words. Uh, of course, I don't think they're, con you know, these people are, are, are conscious of half of what's going on for them and why they're engaging in these things. But regardless of that, and I'm not going to get into any conspiracy theories around it, because ultimately the answer doesn't change regardless of the cause. Because it's so widespread. So I had said in that, well, you know what, here, I'll just read the question that I got in. Person, email me, bbs at sovereigntech.com, if you want to email me as well with anything you've got. And if you disagree with me about what I'm about to say, email me. Let's talk about it. Let's have the conversation. In fact, if you really want to talk about it, if you have, like, you think you've got a great case or something or some kind of explanation, I'll give you the platform. We could do audio together. I'll do a show with you. Get in touch with me if you really want to lay this out. So anyway, let me read the question. Stallion, your doubleheader this weekend was astounding. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, I really was hoping for a triple with the brimstone you were bringing this weekend, but I digress. In one of the episodes, uh, well, you might still get that triple. Uh, in one of the episodes, you hinted at a multi-generational solution to the terrifying mass shootings that have been all too regular this year. You said we'd have to ask you about it and that it'd be a long conversation. So as a proud member of the underground, thank you, um, I'm asking, what what's the solution? Savzu. Okay, so what I was getting at with when I, when I said that, all right, uh, and I'm not saying this is the only solution. And I have to be very clear in saying that I don't know that it would necessarily work. Like, I can't guarantee anything. Obviously, we don't know the future. But um, something I had noticed on Twitter in the conversation around this, when, when I forget which shooting it was. I think it was the one. It does, doesn't really matter. Anyway, one of the things that, that a lot of, and people are still bringing up every time one of these comes up, is that they, they bring up statistics, okay, comparing Europe and America. 
And they're saying how, you know, well, you know, th there's more shootings here in, in the U.S. than there are in Europe, blah, blah, blah. They bring up all these statistics. And then they say, so wait, what's the difference? And they say the difference is the reason why there aren't crazy mass shootings all the time in Europe is because, um, because they have, quote unquote, common sense gun laws. Uh, I think that that's that I, I get where they're coming from. I think that's total BS. That's not even remotely true as to why. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna lay something out on you. Now I, I said earlier in the show that I, you know I've been a, a world traveler really my whole life. In fact, recently, um, for reasons, um, had to go to Geneva. And maybe I'll talk about that uh, more in, in in a future episode. Um, but I had to had to go there. And something I noticed, which I have noticed many times, but it was a little more obvious, okay? Uh, or it was more on my mind, probably because of all the mass shootings that were occurring so recently in the U.S. Okay, I ended up having to stop in Turkey and everything. Anyway, uh, here's the thing, and... and I mean, this, you could say that this is anecdote, and if you want to write it off that way, fine. But if there's a solution on the table, especially one that doesn't require more guns or laws, and ultimately, ironically, laws are guns at the end of the day, being pointed at you or everyone, uh, you know, I, I think that those solutions should be at the very least considered, okay? I noticed, even in Turkey, but certainly in much of Europe, okay, uh, how children and their parents are much more touchy. Now, I don't mean in any kind of perverted way. I'm talking about holding hands, hugging, arms around each other, things like this, okay? Expressions of empathy, care, and love. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Don't get any, don't get any stupid fucking ideas, Okay. Um, even though I did see on the TV, I think this is like in the same breath when the Amazon is burning, um, something to the effect of like, there was some pedophilia charge in, in France. Okay. So I'm not saying pedophilia doesn't occur there, but that's not what this, that's not what this was. And it was, it was very obvious. Okay. And I can speak to my own time growing up. I can speak to, uh, what I see in general, whenever I'm traveling the U.S., which I have to do often. And I, it just felt like a very stark contrast to how there is so much empathetic and caring touch that occurs in Europe, in European countries. And it was true in Turkey as well. As compared to the lack of touch, especially young, you know, younger ages, in the United States. I know it seems like a small thing, but it was so prevalent and obvious. And it was so like, once you're conscious of it, it's like when, you know, it's like when you buy a new car and suddenly you got a Ford Focus and then suddenly you realize everybody else has a Ford Focus. When you go there and you're traveling and especially kind of quick and, you know, and you're experiencing so much of the area and everything, um, you can't help but notice the difference of how people just touch each other a lot more. Now, if you go back years on Sovereign Tech and many other shows that I've done, years, not recently, going
Go far as far in the past as you want. I have consistently stated, in fact, I think there's even YouTube videos where I talk about it from years ago. I've consistently stated that there are two, the world is suffering from two problems. One is that people don't tell each other how they really feel. The other is a lack of touch. Like I've talked about supporting cuddling and things like this, okay? Even among, you know, among adults. Not to say those things can't run into problems. Yep, we have people who, you know, where that becomes problems. I understand, okay? But you get you get my gist. No one's ever really criticized me in the past on this. But then also, I don't think I ever necessarily applied it to, uh, you know, to, to a more specific problem. And I think that because in America, there is this lack of touch, this lack of, of like real physical contact that gets you that, you know, not, not, uh, uh, non-consensually, but still forcibly gets you in touch with other human beings. I think because of that, it becomes easy to get into a very dehumanizing or inhuman mode. And yeah, maybe go on a mass killing spree, you know, and the internet's not helping with this either, because now we're not even like, like now, you know, we don't even have to say things to each other's faces. That's, I mean, that could be the third problem is that we, we don't have to say things to each other's faces. So we safely say whatever horrible shit is on our mind. And I mean, that gets into all kinds of problems as well. But that lack of touch, I mean, I brought it up, you know, in fact, I, I think there's even documentaries that I'm in that have to do like with uh, Liberty stuff or whatever quote unquote documentaries where, where, you know, I've said like one of the, or I've said it on the radio, even when I used to do ads for like the free state project, when I was on free talk live and whatever, I would say, you know, one of the things that blew my mind when I came to the, to New Hampshire, when I moved to New Hampshire, that's going to be eight years ago now coming in uh, end of October. Um, when I moved to New Hampshire, it was remarkable how we, nobody shook hands. You hugged people, hugged me, men hugged me. You know, and that was just the way that everybody greeted each other. We just hugged each other. And I, and I felt like it's amazing how quickly you feel welcomed when you do that instead of the handshake. And it's a beautiful thing. And I think that this lack of touch, again, again caring and empathetic touch, as we grow up, like, you know, my parents didn't hug me that often. They weren't like rubbing my shoulder or, you know, whatever. I, you know, I mean, just, just wasn't a lot of it. I, I, I can, I can, you know, attest to that personally. And I've certainly seen it elsewhere. Okay. Because of that, I, yeah, I, I feel like there's a very dehumanizing aspect to when we don't have touch. And I think that that's a huge part of it. It's not everything. It's not the only solution. I wouldn't suggest that for a second, but I think that that's a big deal. And the reason why I say I think it would take generations for that to start solving things is that you've got to start telling people, you know, no, you know, we need to get back to where we are touching each other, where we are in each other's personal spaces so that we know that that's another person next to us and not the enemy. And that children need to experience touch, you know, just like, I mean, you have doctors now who say you got to get your hands dirty. You know, otherwise your immune system doesn't build up right. Well, I think there's something to, you know, we have to get used to touch more, not handshakes. We've got to get used to touch because it's it, our mental immune systems start falling apart. Our emotional system falls apart without it. So that that was that that was the solution I was talking about. Um. 
there, I mean, there's so much more. It's never just, there's never just one solution. There's never not just one reason. I mean, there's never just one reason. There's never, you know, you, you can't pin it all on one thing. But I stand by my statement that I've made in the past that the world, you know, the two biggest problems in the world is that we don't tell each other how we really feel. Okay. Uh, and to our faces. I, I think I need to add in that caveat. It doesn't need to be a three. It's like we don't tell each other how we really feel to our to each other's faces. And there's just a lack of touch in every demographic. What a shame. What a shame. And I don't, and, you know, look, something, when you get into, we were talking about, I, I, I kind of want to wrap this up. Uh, we were talking earlier, you know, about science fiction. I mean, People really, you get, you got to grasp this. There's that great book called Astonishing, and it's all about the golden years of science fiction. This book is infinitely illuminating, especially for me when you're a huge science fiction fan. You have to understand that Asimov, all these classic golden age science fiction writers, they engaged in science fiction. They wrote science fiction. Yeah, they wanted to make money, sure. Like, that's nice that they got to make money doing what they love. But they were trying to they were entering the philosophical and ideological and political arena of the world with their work. It wasn't just space Marines blowing shit up. It had a point. It, it, there was a purpose. They were trying to forward the human condition and they thought they could do it through their stories. They absolutely thought that Gene Roddenberry did the same thing. He was thinking with television and fuck if, if there were ever a use, or if there was ever a, a proof of concept that you could do that, well, I've said it all the time. Star Trek's the most subversive goddamn thing that humanity's ever created. I don't think people real. I mean, half the reason that we don't live in a William Gibson dystopia right now is because, fortunately, like Star Trek readied people for where we are, or at least tried to ready them as much as possible for where we are now. Couldn't prepare them for social media or, or even other parts of the internet, but how to engage technology and still be a human being. If we didn't have star Trek, I, I look, I, I know you might think that that's a science fiction fans, wet dream or something, but no, really, I don't know where we would be and it would, but it wouldn't be good. You better thank the original series for the rest as imperfect a show as that is. And it is imperfect. You better, I mean, just, and, or even the next generation, you better thank that shit forever, whether you like it or not, because without it, I don't want to know what life would be like right now. At least in the Western world. I do not want to know. So, I say that to say that science fiction really can do that. It can forward the human condition. Okay, as much as any, you know, technology that, that either raises the standard of living and also happens to raise the quality of life. Those are two separate things. Keep that in mind. Uh, you know, as much as it can do that, it, it, it can. It, it is a mental tool. Science is, right, right. So science itself is a tool. It's all it is, is a tool. Okay. And it might not even be our best one, but right now it's, it is the best one we've got. Okay. Science is a tool for explaining and understanding the world. Science fiction is as much a tool. It is a method as much as science is. The scientific method, there is also what really should be called the science fiction method. Okay, because 
it gives you a framework within which to think and hypothesize what does this do in the future. And with the rapid uh, uh, pace of technological, environmental, and other change, okay, in the world, it's the only way we can make sense of it and, and engage it. We need it. And we need the smart stuff. That's the other part that's really scary is we don't have the smart stuff anymore. And so now I'm worried that people are just, well, they're going to fall for the ooh and ah. But anyway, where I was getting with a lot of this is that one of the classic ideas and thrusts in golden age science fiction with your guys like A.E. Van Vogt and, and a lot of others was Alfred Korzybski's General Semantics. Now, I've talked about this in the past. I'm, I'm a fan. Uh, another term for it is what's called non-Aristotelian logic. Uh, I accept this and integrate this, okay? And Aristotle was an asshole anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> but, <laughs> but the basic idea behind non-Aristotelian logic is that the map is not the territory, okay? You can describe things, okay? We can describe things. And Aristotelian logic... You when that basically the idea be behind Aristotelian logic is that you can, through language, share with someone the taste of an orange. Okay, just as an example. In non-Aristotelian logic, you can describe the taste of the orange, but you can never truly share what an orange tastes like with someone else because it's something that goes beyond language. And I think that's part of the importance of non-Aristotelian logic or of general semantics. I don't really like that term, general semantics, uh, but whatever, you know, I, I, I accept that it's out there and I'll, and I'll run with it if I need to. Okay, but something we have to start grasping is that there are things beyond that are that are part of the human condition, that are part of what makes us healthy and give us healthy expressions of being a human being this rare jewel of a conscious species in the universe that we don't have words for and maybe never can because the map is not the territory. It's a description of it, but it is only a description. And that's why I say there are two problems with the world. Like if, if, if language could accurately tell other people how you feel, then touch wouldn't be an issue. Okay, like well, you wouldn't have to do touch because then we could just express it via language. And I actually, I would argue the internet proves that language is not enough. Because otherwise we probably wouldn't have all the horseshit that's going on that the internet, I rightly think, does inspire, you know, a lot of, a lot of terrible things. I mean, a lot of good too, I suppose, but also, but more so it seems to, to inspire a lot of, a lot of horribleness. So that's why you need touch. You need that thing that's beyond uh, verbal language. I mean, even mathematics. Yes, mathematics is the language of the universe, but it doesn't really express everything, does it? You know, I mean, it, it, it does, but again, it's just a map. It's not the territory. So that's, there you go. There's my solution. Um, we need more touch. We need things that go beyond language, but it seems like everybody just fucking gives a shit about, oh, if my logical argument, if he just heard my logical argument, they'd never do that. No, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. You're wrong. 
<laughs> you know, I, this is something I said. In fact, I think it was, I think I can remember the episode number. I think it was episode 47 of Sovereign Tech. And we're in episode almost 347. So 300 episodes ago of Sovereign Tech, I had said, you know, if if the arguments, if, if your logical argumentation was enough to change people's minds and to show people the nature of reality and all this, then the whole world would be libertarian. But it's not, because it doesn't solve everything. There's more to the human condition than just what language can describe. And we have to, and not just not describe, it's not, I mean, yes, we do need some new, we got to add in some words into our, our languages, okay? I'm not, I, I firmly believe that. But then also, we have to accept there are things language cannot describe. Okay, the broken divide only takes us so far. So anyway, that said, uh, you know, something that can that can really expand uh, upon, you know, verbal language is uh, music. So why don't we get it? Well, let's wrap that up. There you go. You got my solution. Hope you enjoyed it or, or you know, gets you thinking. And I'm open to any conversation you want to have around that. Um, let's get into our album of the week. And I actually, I've got two, I've got a twofer here, uh, because one of them got sent in, talk about great patrons, uh, or great listeners. In fact, one of my, I know one of my very first listeners, um, she sent in a, uh, I, I like this a lot. It's uh, by a quote unquote group, I guess you could say, but it's master boot record and their album is titled internet protocol. And like the, the, the song names are FTP, IRC and all this. And, I can barely describe it to you. There's chiptunes, synths, some metal. I mean, there's like everything in this. You got to go listen to it. It is a great time uh, and obviously a perfect fit for Sovereign Tech listeners. You want to check out Master Boot Record Internet Protocol. Uh, I I have been playing this pretty much nonstop for a while, though I did have to take a moment to listen to a new album by uh, a band that I'm a bit of a fan of out of speaking of Europe, out of Europe, uh, called Crash Diet, which they are like a modern day Motley Crue. Uh, and they have a very similar sound. They just came out with a new album called Rust. Uh, this is an album, you know, very much a hard rock uh, album. Give it a shot. The there's the lead single I think from it is a song called Crazy. It's pretty good. The latter half. This is a rare album where the latter half of it is the real winner. Uh, in fact, there's a song in there called Reptile, which I think is probably the best one. Um, but the latter half, the album gets a little harder you know, is in the riffs get harder or whatever. Uh, and boy, did I like that, but that's so weird for, I mean, for me, I'm not used to that. I'm used to like a little bit of a front loading. Like usually your biggest song will be track three or something like that, which is kind of the case here, but really even their, their lead single crazy, I don't think is half as good as the last half of this album. So if you're into that hard rock sound, uh, you know, with, with, a. a some people would call it glam rock and things like this. That's still a big deal in Europe uh, because they have taste. Uh, check out Crash Diet's Rust. Actually, check out Crash Diet's entire discography because they've been at this for about 10 years and they are solid, even though there have been a, there's been a lot of controversy around that band. Um, a lot of, you know, the American audience doesn't really know anything about them, but they're a huge fucking deal in Europe. Like they're, they're I mean, they're a bit, they're like Man of War big over there and that's big. Uh, you know, they're like Hasselhoff big and... I say that half in jest and half in, you know, absolute respect to, uh, to David Hasselhoff. So anyway, um, there you go. There's some stuff to, I think there's a lot here to walk away with, walk away with. You have uh, some podcasts that if you want to listen to those, I put links for the Eddie Trunk episodes as well. Um, and I think we got a lot of, a lot of deep philosophical stuff to consider here as well. And if you think I'm nuts, 
you know what? Go ahead and email me because if you're a Sovereign Tech listener, you've heard this and you've been putting your money down for me. Believe me, I am going to treat you with the utmost, utmost respect. And I really, really want to hear from you on a lot of this. Okay. Um, I got some great responses to recent episodes to the last couple episodes of Sovereign Tech where people are adding in their thoughts. I always love getting that. Please do. Please send that stuff in. I want to know when I'm going to read it. Okay. And I'm going to, I mean, I'll read it and I'll, I'll get your word out. You know what you got to say to everybody. If I disagree with you, I'll do so respectfully because again, you know, in a very real way, your family. Okay. So anyway, that's it for your Wednesday Q&A in the month of September 2019. Uh, of course, we'll have one every Wednesday in September, but that's this one. I will see all of you whoo, on the other side.